Hey True North, welcome to the third episode of our study through the letters of John. My name is Eugene. Excited to have you with us wherever you're at. And just to let you know, so today we'll be going over parts of, or sorry, the first half of chapter two. And we're going to read that in a moment on our own. But just to give a quick recap of our last episode, uh, with the beginning of 1 John chapter one, there's this idea that John is putting forth uh, that he really wants us to see that one, Jesus is the word of life and the connections between that and John chapter one. And the first half of 1 John is seeing Jesus to be the light that he calls himself, that he is the light for the darkness and that we're called to walk in his light. So we're going to go into where does John go from that thought into the first half of chapter two. So if you could take a moment, maybe just relax, take a couple moments to begin in silence. But what we want to do is read chapter two, verses one, all the way down to 11. So not too long, but take a couple moments, read that on your own, maybe two or three times, pray and write down what you can get. Maybe a thought, maybe a question, and then we'll gather back together and I'll share some of my observations and thoughts as well. All right, well, I hope that reading was helpful and somehow illuminating to how God's speaking to you. I believe it was pretty straightforward, but I want to share some of my own observations and hopefully implications for our church. So I'll split this up into kind of the, the beginning of chapter two and the latter half of what we just read. But just to, you know, if you if you read closely with chapter two, verses one and two, and I, I just remember we actually didn't even go over the, the last verse of chapter one, he just kind of practically, excuse me, there's something stuck in my throat, uh, practically drawing out the, the implications of if Jesus is the light that we call him to be, what does that look like? And he kind of first introduces the concept of sin. And one thing I want to make very clear uh, for our church, and even if you're listening and somehow, you know, you, you don't consider yourself a faithful or, or deep Christian, one misconception, and I talked a little bit about this in the past episode, but I believe one misconception the culture and even the church has is that Christianity is often defined, that discipleship following Jesus is often defined by how well you do morally, that there's a line of moral perfection and that's what we're called to do. But I want us to take a really close look at what John is saying. When John is saying that we're called to walk in the light as Jesus is the light, he is not asking us to be perfect. So if you go back to chapter one, verse nine, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right, one, one distinction he's making is, look, for you to be a Christian and to follow Jesus, it means that you have to admit you're gonna be in past, present, and future sins. Verse 80 says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 of this, I sorry, I'm reading it really out of proportion or out of order, but hopefully this is making sense. Verse 10, if we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you, you if from these verses, you kind of get the gist of what he's going to get into chapter two, that the whole idea is, look, to be a community, to be a church, to be a body of Christ, 
it's not how well we do in our obedience to Jesus, but it's how well we confess and are transparent. And one thing I really want to hone in on in these beginning verses of the end of chapter one is when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. I think that's, it's a concept and it's an idea, the idea of confession that if we're honest, not a lot of us do because it's kind of, there's no roadmap that you've been taught. This is how you confess your sins. And I think it's it's such an important practice. And for me, practically, I think confession of sins is two-part. It's being vulnerable with the mistakes and sins that you have committed in the past and present. And then alongside, committing to a turning away, whatever that may look like. And this is so important to do because... John is not stressing, don't sin. He's saying, confess your sins. Later on in chapter two, as we just read, he'll begin with by saying, I'm writing this so that you may not sin like your future sin. But John's trying to stress, look, we're gonna keep messing up. But what makes us apart is that we're vulnerable with him. And I guess to give some implication of that, how do we confess? Like, what does that look like? I think more than anything, it's learning how to be vulnerable to God with what we're scared to tell ourselves. Uh, I preached this last Sunday on John chapter 9 of of Jesus healing the man born blind. And, And the whole, I guess, thesis of that message was when I read John 9, it wasn't just Jesus healing a physically blind man, but Jesus healing, trying to heal all of our spiritual blindness that so often we are blind to our own blind spots, to our own weaknesses, and we hide, we hide ourselves. And yet when John says, no, Jesus is the light, what he's saying is that doesn't demand perfection from us, that demands us being vulnerable to him. If you go into the light, all parts of yourself are seen. So chapter two, he continues this idea by saying verses one and two, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for also but also for the sins of the whole world. Now a couple of things, uh, you know, as he says, hey, come into the light, be vulnerable, it doesn't also mean, hey, you can be vulnerable but continue to sin. And it's a little bit of a different discussion, but part of discipleship doesn't mean, hey, As long as I'm being vulnerable with my sins, I'm okay. No, there has to be a turning away. But in verse two, there's a word that says propitiation. And often it's a big theological term. So you might be confused on what that actually means. But what John is getting at is in the Greek, the propitiation, that word, what it meant was often a sacrifice you brought to a God or an idol to appease their wrath against you. So what John is trying to remind the church is that Jesus himself is the sacrifice for our sins. And and what he's trying to press is, look, there's a temptation when we sin to try and cover it up, to try and mask it, because we're scared. We're we're so scared that it's going to expose who we are. So what we often do is we mask our sins. We mask who we really are in hopes almost as a sacrifice that no one will find out who we really are. Even if I could hearken back to Genesis 1, 
or sorry, in Genesis 3, in the story of Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden, uh, one thing Adam and Eve do when, when they've committed sin and, and, and they eat from the tree of knowledge and God calls out to them saying, Adam, where are you? The first thing that they do is they don't come out of guilt, but to offer a sacrifice, a propitiation of sorts. They get fig leaves and cover themselves up. And they say, look, hey, we'll come to you as long as we don't show us, show you our whole selves because we're scared of what will happen. And what John is trying to get at is he's trying to remind the church Jesus himself came to be that propitiation. Right? What, what John, what I'm trying to get at is this. The guilt we, look, all of us feel when we make a mistake or sin, that is still a holy feeling to have because there is a guilt that you've done something wrong in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. But Jesus knew if, if that's the system that is staying, we're always going to hide ourselves from God in hopes that it's some sacrifice that we can, you know, hide from his wrath and guilt or, and sorry, wrath and judgment. But when John says, no, Jesus is a propitiation, right? Very clearly, it's not saying, hey, you have to provide a propitiation, but he is a propitiation. What John is trying to get at is that you are now fully allowed to come into God's presence. You're allowed to come to him in your full naked, vulnerable self. Because the problem is, harking back, I know I'm jumping around and I hope I'm making sense, but in John chapter one, when he says, verse eight, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. One of the hardest things to do is to admit that we have sinned because it's a vulnerability we're showing. It's a liability that people can use against us. But what John is trying to say in chapter two is, hey, you don't have to have that worry with God. And also you don't have to have that burden. Um, you know, with sins that we commit, and, and this is, I think, true to a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, when we want to cover up a mistake, there's a burden. There's 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 this heavy burden that we have, and, and we want to make sure that whatever we've committed, it never gets out because we're terrified of what will happen if people find out. But the problem is it's a, it's a perpetual cycle that never ends. Uh, one thing I, I just heard about, you know, the, the fig leaf story, and it's an interesting observation that I find to be true, is that when Adam and Eve made those fig leaves, they had to cut it off a living tree. And if you cut anything off a living tree, uh, a leaf or branch, it's, it's going to slowly decay, rot, and die. And what the pastor was basically saying was that even, and we haven't changed, we still do exactly what Adam and Eve do. But that process means we're always searching for fig leaves because whatever we mask ourselves up with, with career, with wealth, with fame, whatever it is, it never lasts. So Jesus being the propitiation for our sins is good news. It's restful news. And then from there, John continues. So what I want to do for the second half of this episode is really focus on verses 3 to 11 in chapter 2. I'm going to read this all together for us and then try and dissect some observations I have, some implications. But continuing on, John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So just to give a quick overview of what John is trying to get at, in the first half of that, verses 3 to 6, what he's saying is, look, if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did exactly what we just talked about, that he is a propitiation, he is the sacrifice that pleases God so that we can come to God's presence fully. In turn, what John is saying is, well, if you say that you know this guy named Jesus, who is the propitiation for our sins, we have to keep his commandments. If we don't, we're a liar. The truth is not in him, John writes. And what is the this commandment? What, what was, so, you know, you hear that, you're like, well, that's, that's tiring, right? Like, uh, what do we have to do? And then verse 7 to 11, what John is espousing is that to be in the light of Jesus, to, to follow his commandments and not to be a liar, is to love those around us just as God has loved us. Right? When he says, I'm not writing to you a, a new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning, he's harking back again to what Jesus said. When Jesus quotes the Torah, where, where someone asks him, Jesus, what, is it, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus says, look, nothing has changed. And he quotes the Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What embodies a disciple is not how much you know about God, although that is important, but it's how well you love God and those around you. And I think this is an extremely important point for our current cultural moment. So often, if I sit down, even if you're listening to this, even, you know, even you probably wanting more of this quote-unquote content and, and learning about God, it's, it's a good desire. But often we're drawn to these studies and to learn more information because that's what we think discipleship is. Uh, that's what we think being a Christian is. That's what we think being spiritual is. That we have to amass this wisdom and information and ideas and theology and this is the thing, I, I, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that those things are not important. They are crucially important. But that is a very human way to understand and very flawed way to understand discipleship and following Jesus. Discipleship in Jesus is not just about ideas and information, but it's about an incarnate faith. I might have talked about this uh, in the previous episode, but it's, you know, John's just hammering this again. What he's saying is to, to be a disciple, to follow Jesus faithfully, it's not about how much you know. 
it's not about how much you can memorize First John and spit it back out to someone. Although that might be helpful, and if that's a desire you have, that's a good desire to follow. But at its core, what Jesus really wants, what how we are to be marked as his disciples is to be marked by our love. We must love those around us. It's, it's an incarnate faith, right? And if you hearken back to my last episode, the idea of the incarnation is God becoming flesh. It's what is unseen becoming seen. It's, be, it's what, is in, sorry, what is perfect becoming an imperfect human body, right? And again, this concept is important because what John is trying to get at is to follow his commandments and not to be a liar. It's not about, hey, and, and, you know, the, the, the unholy triad of, hey, don't cuss, don't have premarital, premarital sex and don't do drugs and, or drink. It's not about those things mainly. And, and those things are important. But even in those sins, right, or quote unquote sins, and that's debatable for some of them, but we can get into that. Let's just take premarital sex, for example. The, the reason the scriptures and God is, is so against that is not because of some just random line, hey, with sex, you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. No, 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 no. Any sin that's outlined in scripture is connected back to love. It, it, the, the reason we're called not to have premarital sex, because in God's design, sex is such a powerful show of love, it can only be well harnessed in the confines and safety of a marriage covenant. It's based on love. And, and this is with any sin. And, and this is one of the problems I have with cultural Christianity because it gets so wrapped up in saying, yeah, look, First John chapter 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. So we have to make sure that we vote this way, that we don't say this and blah, blah, blah. And no, look, John is more concerned with and Jesus is more concerned with, yes, follow my commandments. And you know what my commandment is? You know what the truth of my light is? Love God with everything you have and love those around you as you love yourself. That's what an incarnate faith looks like. And at the end of this, when he talks about love, one, one interesting kind of implication I would give you is this, and, and I'll end with this too. Um, at the end of this section that we just read, it's interesting because he really, really, really wants you to understand, look, if you're a Christian, you have to love those around you. And one thing that's interesting is he repeats, um, hey, make sure not just that you love your brother, but make sure you don't hate those around you. He repeats that more than saying love those around you. Does that make sense? So what I mean by that is, let me get back to this text. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. He could have ended there. But verse 11 but whoever hates his brother, again, this, this heavy emphasis, don't hate your brother, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, there's, there's so much to get into that about just how hatred or animosity towards someone is like poison, that it blinds the soul. Um, Anne Lamont, who's, who's an author, uh, I think she's Christian, but she writes... To not forgive someone is to ingest rat poison and hope that the other person dies, right? And the whole idea of what, what John's trying to get at, one of the implications is uh, 
the reason we're called to love those around us is not just for their sake. <laughs> um, it's, it's also for our sake. It's self-serving in a way. Because if you choose to be, and it's an easy choice to make, like everyone is in your life, and I'm not trying to make excuses for those around you who have hurt you. Because look, if you live a human life, you're, you probably have a manager that's messed you up. You probably have uh, an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend or an, maybe an even ex-spouse. Maybe f- family trauma. So, there's so many opportunities and maybe even justified opportunities to hate those around you. But one thing John is trying to really press is if you choose to go down that route... It's not just that you get to, you know, have all this vengeance on someone, but you will be lost. You will be stuck in darkness. Because uh, the human soul is made to be in relational connection. And when we, and, and I say that because we're made in God's image, right? And to be made in God's image, when you think about it, we worship a triune God, uh, the Holy Trinity. We worship a God of relationship. And when we choose to hate those around us, we are literally trying to rewire the spiritual DNA that God has used to make us. And we're going to be stuck in darkness. That animosity towards someone, like it feels good. And I know you know what I'm talking about, right? It feels good to gossip about someone. It feels good to see someone and just want to like, man, if, if we were in a different room, I would have said this to you and made you you know, I would have insulted you, whatever it may be. I'm going to make a burner account and do this or that, whatever it is. It feels good in the moment. Um, for the long term, it, it, it really destroys the soul. So that's one thing John is getting at. And the flip side also, another implication from that concept is that we have to understand that to love the, like, okay, don't hate people because that's not just bad for them, but bad for me. Okay, I need to love them. But it's really interesting how John portrays that type of love. Because he's saying, like, in the beginning, remember, hey, these are commandments. This this requires obedience. And this commandment, this obedience is love. Love those around you. I find that to be interesting because we live in a cultural climate and, uh, you know, with cultural narratives and stories that tells you that love is not obedience, it's a choice. Uh, that love is freedom, that love is doing what your heart wants to do, that love is passionate, that love is spontaneous, right? Live, laugh, love. A lot of American families probably have that over their kitchen table. Nothing wrong per se with that. But the way that John portrays what love is, right? If we're not called to hate, we're called to love. How John portrays love is, or what love is in, in the Christian context, is it's not choosing to do something, it's obedience, right? It, it's putting yourself not in the freedom of what you want to do, but putting yourself in a situation where you're like, no, I'm forced to do this, right? To, to flesh this out a little bit more, uh, a commentator of First John writes this, We have built a world based on free choices and not obedience. We have viewed love as attraction, which, when the feeling passes, may be directed elsewhere to other people, in other relationships, or even out of relationships. We rarely hear calls for obedience, and this is a key part, and love as work. 
love as work. Um, what John is implying to us is that love is work. It it, it is like going to the gym. It, you know, and and I might have used this uh, here and there. Uh, and as someone who theoretically only knows about working out, um, but you know, the small instances where I've had spurts of working out. Um, and if you're, you know, lifting weights habitually, you don't go to the gym when you want to go, right? You go to the gym as a habit, as work, because you know, if I want to grow my muscles or this muscle group or get more healthy, I can't go when I want to go because there's so many times my desires of that current moment are so less important than my greater desire to be healthier, to lose weight or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of the same concept John's giving love to be, right? It's a commandment that Jesus tells us. It's a command. It's, it's, it's work. It's obedience. That to love those around us, especially those that like, and this is the thing, we all have someone that I think God has placed in our life that deep down inside, they annoy us, they, they get on our nerves, right? They, they do everything in our powers who want to hate them, but yet they keep popping up. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's even a spouse. Maybe it's an old friend that's just kind of there. And God's placed there so that you can grow and work and obey the call to love them. And again, to love someone is not just to do, you know, whatever you, uh, to love someone is not just to give a free card on, on whatever they've done. It's not that at all. It's not to be opening yourself to abuse. And it's a whole nother story. It's not that. But to love those around us, like Jesus has loved us, it is a call, <laughs> is obedient. And, you know, the, the more interesting thing, too, about that concept is going back to working out. The friends I know that are shredded, right? Uh, our lead pastor, right? Jay, uh, he's, he's, he's a f- CrossFit machine. Shout out to Fred Hyun and, and that crew. And, you know, he's lost a lot of weight, right? And when I talked to Jay about working out, you know, I remember, you know, he, he, he was a type where he would be like, I, I don't want to work out today. But nowadays when he does work out and he works out like literally every day, I get the sense from him and when I talk to him, it's now evolved into something that with time he wants to do, right? It's something that he's grown a love for, he's grown a passion for. And he's what he's doing is basically he's allowing the work and obedience to now change his heart rather than his heart leading the obedience of his hands. Does that make sense? And that's what love is. It's not allowing our desires to dictate our actions. It's allowing our actions to shape and mold habitually with with a lot of work with the spirit to mold our desires. That's what love is. And if you're in a marriage long enough, and I haven't been in a marriage that long, but even in the years that me and my wife have been together, that is so true Um, in any relationship that's long lasting. That if you only love people out of desire, man, you're going to run out of fuel so fast. But if you love out of habit, out of covenant, out of commitment, out of obedience, out of work, this weird thing happens where your desires start to change as well. 
So with that, I hope that was helpful uh, just to get a better glimpse of 1 John chapter 2, the beginning half. So the next episode, what we'll do is try and finish chapter 2 and to go over that. But yeah, I hope this is helpful just to get a glimpse of John as an author as we're going through the sermon series of the Gospel of John. If you have any questions, shoot me a DM on Slack. I would love to converse about them. But with that, hope this was helpful and hope to see you in the next episode.